We finished the book of James. I wish James was like 10 chapters. It's like just keep like listening to him. Keep getting slapped by him. Like, ah, oh, give me another, please. Ow. But um, there's been this idea that it's been germinating in my head really since this summer. So we're going to start a new series. And I think it's one of the most important topics that you can talk about. So important that it's actually codified into the Constitution of the United States. But more than that, I think it's actually wrapped into the very DNA of what it means to be a human. But that doesn't mean it's easy. I think it's also the hardest thing to figure out, right? It's something that you and I want 100% of the time. It's not that. (laughs) It's happiness. We always want to be happy. And there are these surveys that don't just look at America, but they actually look internationally. And what they've found when they've done international surveys, America, Greece, Slovenia, United Arab Emirates, Uganda, Kenya, what inevitably is put at the top of everybody's list of their most wanted thing, it's happiness. I want to be happy. But the problem is, as adults, we have a ton of hangups on happiness, don't we? Like, are you as happy as your kids, if you have little kids? Are you as happy as my six-year-old son, Myron? And my six-year-old Myron would look at us, look at me, and he would think, dad's got to be the happiest dude in the world. He gets to eat whatever food he wants to eat. He gets to go to bed whenever he wants to go to bed. He gets to watch whatever he wants to watch on TV. He gets to wake up whenever he wants to wake up. He can buy whatever he wants to buy, like he buys whatever, right? Mine would look at me and be like, dude, you got it happening. But is that true? We as happy as our kids are happy? So science has studied this. Here's what they found. Kids about six years old, that age, they smile or laugh on average 400 times a day. Guess how often adults smile or laugh? Some, none at all, we know them. (laughs) But on average, an adult smiles or laughs 14 times a day. What happened, right? You went for 400 times. Now just imagine that for a second. 400 times. How many hours of the day is your child awake? Too many, Matt. Too many. I'll start right there. (laughs) Let's say it's 14 hours. Then he is smiling or she is smiling 28 times an hour. That's almost every other minute a child is laughing or smiling. That's crazy, huh? What happened to us, right? As adults, we have to have something called happy hour. (laughs) Do you have to have that for a child? Okay, now it's happy hour for the next hour, right? What happened to us? Something has shifted 
right? And I think believers, we might be the worst offenders of this. So I've been taking this unofficial poll for the last couple of months, and I'll just randomly ask somebody, does God want you happy? It's amazing the answers I get. No, God doesn't want us happy. He wants us holy. No, happiness is about what's happening. God wants us to be joyful. That's the fruit of God's spirit. Right? No, God doesn't care about our emotions. What he cares most deeply about is your character, not about happiness. So I'm going to expand the poll today. Does God want you happy? Raise your hand if you say yes. Hey, you're better than last than the 850. You're a happier crew. Or at least you want to be happier. <laughs> no, if you actually are. And we have a culture, right? A culture that is actually shaped around telling you and me how to be happy, right? Isn't that what ad dollars are? So people are going to spend $10 million for 30 seconds at the Super Bowl to say, if you had this, you would be happy. Right? They're not dumb. It makes sense to them. Like if you buy this, if you had this pleasure, you'd be happy. If you had this entertainment, you'd be happy. If you ate this food, you'd be happy. If you had this relationship, you'd be happy. If you had this job, you'd be happy. If you had this power, or if you had this spirituality, you'd be happy. Or if you had this comfort, or if you had some kind of beauty thing, right? If you had longer eyelashes, you'd be happy. If your eyebrow, whatever they do with eyebrows, you'd be happy. If you had hair extensions, you'd be happy. If you had a haircut, you'd be happy. If you had a different color of hair, you'd be happy, right? If you had a thinner waist but bigger hips, you'd be happy. If you had longer legs, you'd be happy, right? Just the list goes on and on and on. If your feet were, now there's nothing to do with your feet. God's like, they're gonna get dirty and I'll give you Nike, so don't worry about them, all right? But that's what billions of dollars is spent trying to tell you and me, this will make you happy. I'm telling you, this is going to drive this series. And it's this right here. The Christian life is a battle of ideas about what makes you most happy. That's what the Christian life is. If you want to just drill down on it, that's what it is. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter one through three. God says, I'm creating a good world for my humans. Good, 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 very good. Where they can flourish and have joy and happiness overflowing. So God creates it for them. But then there's this other voice that comes in. And this other voice says, no. No, God's holding out on you. If you only had this, if you could only eat of this, this fruit over here, then you'd really have it going on. And Adam and Eve believed that other voice and they lost the garden. And the battle's still the same today. It's the battle that you and I face with your kids, with my kids. It's, is God's way the way to real happiness or is it not? We have a enemy who has tailored things to say, uh-uh. It's a battle of what genuinely is gonna make you and me happy. Is God's garden that he plants for us and designs for us, is that garden a good garden that brings out my deepest desire, which is to be happy? That's really the battle. That's the battle. Right? So if you take a step back and you just look at 
how the world is today. Is it good? So, leukemia. Growing up, I had a friend. His name was Benjamin Meyer. He died from leukemia. Because when I was young, 50 years ago, I'm not quite 50, but that's the survey that I read. 86% of people that got leukemia died. It was a death sentence. Today, that number has been reduced 78%. Right? Man, that's way better. Correct? How good is that? So if you are someone that's just constantly thinking the world is bad, I'll recommend one book for you. It's Hans Rosling's book. It's called Factfulness. And he just sets out and says, really look at the world we have. Are you kidding? He just does it systematically. So get that book. We got it pretty good. Like, take this. In 1940, my mom was born, born in 1946. So I'm not that disconnected from this. In 1940, a third of the homes in America had no running water, no shower, and no indoor toilet, no central heating, and they were about 800 square feet. Not big. Okay, in 1940, only 40% of our population had an eighth grade education. Only 25% graduated from high school. Our graduation rate was 25%. Right, we're like, we... We can't believe if our graduation rate is 70 or 75% today. And it was 25% in 1940. 5% had a college education. Man, how things have changed, right? Every home has water. Every home has two bathrooms, right? We got tons of stuff. 1,600 square feet is like a cabin now. Like, oh man, I don't know how I do it. You know, it's, it's the cross I must bear. I want an addition, right? We got microwaves and TVs and DVDs and computers and phones. And we come home every day to a a pile of Amazon packages, like more stuff. Yeah. We get inside and Alexa is there spying on us. I mean, helping us, right? It's like, are you kidding? Like this is the big story right now and it's cancer rates. So I just grabbed this. This is from like a couple days ago. This is cancer rates right now. How good a news is that? Right, on every metric, they just combine all the cancers. They're just dive bombing, and they have since the 1990s. Man, we got it good. But are we happy? So if you look at behavioral sciences, things like loneliness, things like anxiety, things like depression, things like lack of purpose, things like the suicide rate right now. It's exploding. So on every like metric that you can measure, every objective thing, dude, you got it going on. But in actually how humans are doing, we're lonely, we're depressed, we're suicidal, and we're killing ourselves. Like what in the world happened? We're living longer lives, more comfortable lives, more stuff lives, but I don't think anyone's happy. Okay, so that's, that's this series. Like, what's gone wrong? Like, something hasn't worked the way it's supposed to work. So here's what I have to start with, because we're believers, and because there was something that happened to us, and I'll try to explain it, and, and this is just, I'm trying to cram what I can in today. You're gonna have to come back, okay? 
So I know right now there's skeptics out there with their arms crossed just saying, yeah, I don't buy it. No way. God does not want us happy. He cares about joy, not happiness. No way. God's serious. It's not about celebration. No way. It's about spiritual things, not this happening stuff because happiness is just based on what's happening. But God doesn't care about that. So I'm gonna try as quickly as I can to give you a biblical and a historical view that I think that idea is wrong for the skeptic. And I'm the skeptic because man, I've said everything like, no, God doesn't care about happiness, holiness. Well, it's wrong. And I hope that you'll see it this way as wrong because uh, this way as well, excuse me. Um, because I think what happened was if you read history a bit, there was a change. And I think that change was actually demonic because it allows now culture to paint Christians as fun-hating Ned Flanders. So if you look at television shows, when there is a Christian on that show, the majority of those Christians are fun-hating Ned Flanders. And so something's crept in that now allows culture to say, here's the caricature of a believer and culture says, yeah, totally, I get it. What's wrong? And so I hope to just unpack this a bit. And what's so funny to me is this, like if I was to stand up here and say, hey, you guys need to pray and you need to read your Bible. We'd all say, yep, right. Then I'd have to go and my whole message would be how to do that and why you should do that. No one's gonna push back against those things even though we don't really want to do them. But over here, if I say, hey, God wants you happy, everyone's like, no way. Even though it's the deepest desire of our hearts, I've actually got to prove to you, no, God really wants you happy. It's so crazy to me. But I can feel the same tension in my own heart, so I know I have to do it. Okay, so here's what I think happened. I think that what we did a number of years ago was we took a word and we couched it in hyper-spirituality. And we hid what it really means inside of another word. And that hiding of that word has echoed out, cast its shadow on us today, okay? So I believe God wants us happy. I believe the pursuit of happiness is a good goal. I think the Bible is full of stuff that just says happy, 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 right? So the word is this, it's blessed. So if you read your New Testament, blessed shows up all the time. But the word blessed comes from a Greek word and that Greek word is makarios. And makarios, it's, Best definition is not blessed. Its best definition is happy. And so there is a translation of the Bible called the Young's Literal Translation. If you love the Message Bible, you will hate Young's Literal Translation, okay? It is wooden and it's stiff. It takes a Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic word and directly translates it to the English equivalent. It doesn't care if it makes sense. It doesn't care if you can read it or not. It's just saying, that's what this word said, All right? 
I love it. It was translated in, 19, in 1862, way before pike, pop psychology, way before the self-esteem mo- movement, way before Freud, way before any of this. It was translated way outside of current cultural influences. Okay? 19, 1862, almost 150 years ago. So that, that book, actually over 150 years ago, that Bible, Macarios, appears 50 times. 42 of the 50 times it's translated happy because that's what it means. And when we decide to change this word into something else, it actually affects our theology. I'll give you one example. I could give a bunch. Have you ever heard of the word or the verse that says this? It is more blessed to give than to receive, right? What does that mean to you then? What does blessed mean? Well, our culture is like, we bless the food, right? So what are we doing? We're asking God for something. So when we have this word, makareos, and it's translated blessed, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Here's what happens. It's God, you owe me a blessing. I put $100 in that offering as it went around. Now you owe me. You're indebted to me. Bring your blessings down. That's what goes through our mind today because of the way the word blessed is used. But that's not the word. You know what it should actually say? Hey, you get more happiness from giving than receiving. That's not about doing something and getting God in your Debt, it's actually in the moment that you give, you get this great happiness. And do you know that science has caught up with the Bible? So a couple of guys, you can look them up. Jorge Grafman, Jordan Grafman and Jorge Mall. They did that, they're neuroscientists. They did this study. They put this helmet on people that scanned their brain. And they looked for what happens when you do something like give. What parts of your brain fire? So there is a part of your brain called the pleasure center. That's the part of your brain that fires when you're in love. That's the part of your brain that fires when you're married and you're enjoying all the great things of marriage. That part fires. It's the part of your brain that fires when you eat really, really good food, like steamed kale. It's just firing, right? (laughs) Guess what part of your brain fires when you give? That center because we're image bearers of God and God is a giver. It's, you get more happiness. Not you're blessed, not you're gonna get something back from God. You get in that moment by giving. It's right then, in that moment, you get happiness, right? So, so that's, that's the way it is. And, and I don't think you need a scientist to tell you this. Like, have you ever met a stingy person who was happy? Have you ever met a generous person that was not? Why? Because you get more happiness from giving than from, re- from receiving, right? Well, man, I just don't know, man. I don't know if I trust you. Fine. You don't have to trust me. So I have lists of these, but I'm going to give you three guys that are pretty trusted, current guys that are trusted, Okay. Anyone heard of John MacArthur Jr.? Considered to be probably one of the better Bible expositors who's alive today, right? So John MacArthur, you can Google this. He says this, Macareos 
means happy. That is what that Greek word means. Okay, John Piper, pretty serious Bible teacher, right? He doesn't get influenced by culture. He is serious. John Piper, makareos, means happy. And then John Piper has this other, I really love this quote. He says this about this whole idea that we get stuck in. He says, the difference, is there a difference between joy and happiness? Scrap those distinctions. The Bible is indiscriminate in its use of joy and happiness. That's John Piper, serious guy. He's just like, as you study the Bible, these words are used interchangeably. The, The Greek words, the Hebrew words, they're just used indiscriminately. No doubt about it. Okay, last guy. Warren Wiersbe, who happens to be one of my heroes. He was in charge of Moody Bible, everything Moody Bible, he's in charge of it. He says, Macarius means happy. Okay, Th- th- those are some big time dudes. So why in the world is it still translated blessed? Because we love our Christianese. We love it, man. Koinonia, blessed. Atonement, right? These words that, well, outside of this little circle, people are like, what in the world are you talking, man? It's all Greek to me. It is actually. (laughs) Truly it is. We love it, right? So Jesus Christ, he comes on the scene. His first recorded message. You know what the first word of the first recorded sermon of Jesus is? Makarios. Guess how we translate it? Blessed. He repeats it nine times. Makarios, 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 Makarios. So the translators hundreds of years ago were like, Jesus' first message could not be about happiness, could it? The first thing Jesus is gonna talk about is not to say, hey guys, listen to me. This is the way that you gain happiness. That could, so trivial. Jesus wouldn't do that. What's a better word? Blessed. Okay, let's put blessed in there. And that has tracked with us now for 400 years, a Bible translation, that decision. Psalm one, what's the way Psalms begins? Blessed is the man. That Hebrew word couldn't possibly mean happiness, which it does. Couldn't, Psalms could not be a manual that helps you process stuff that's ripping you off from Happiness, could it? We better translate that some other way. Blessed. Let's use that word instead. That's happened and its shadow is still over us today. Here's what I'm telling you. God cares about your happiness. He 100% cares. So I read the ESV. The ESV translates Makarios as blessed. I don't think that's the best translation, but I still think this Bible is good and I use it. A better one comes along, I'll use it. But even with that, if I just look at the ESV and I look at words like happy, joy, merry, pleasure, delight, cheer, laugh, smile, those words appear over 1,700 times in the ESV. That's a lot, way more than prayer. What is that saying? God cares about your, about my 
happiness. That's what it's saying, all right? So let's just go to the Bible now, all right? What does the Bible say about our happiness? Here's Isaiah 65, 18 and 19. But be, but be, but be, and rejoice. How long? Forever. In that which I create. This is going back to Genesis 1 and 2. I create a good, good, good place for you. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and I will be glad in my people. How awesome is that? God looks at creation and it brings delight to him. Read the book of Job. It's phenomenal. When God starts talking about the horse, just read that. It's brilliant. It's Job 38. It's like God's just like, wow, I love the horse. That's so awesome. Look how strong it is. The Leviathan. God looks at his creation and it delights him. He's got joy in it. He looks at you and me and says, I gave it to you. Enjoy it. It's why 1 Timothy 6, 17, Paul reflecting all this just says, God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. What is he saying? Look at what I gave you. It's for gladness. It's for happiness. Look what I gave you. God is not in heaven pouting when we enjoy everything he gave us. Do you know that? It'd be like this at Christmas. If you gave a gift to your son, to your daughter, and they're out enjoying it a bunch, does that make you mad? They're like, hey son, quit riding that bike I gave you. Hey, son, quit playing with the basketball I gave you. Hey, daughters, quit playing with all the clothes that I gave you. Hey, get off the phone that I gave you. Okay, maybe that one. <laughs> no, when, when the receiver enjoys what the giver has given, the happiness is amplified. God who richly gives us all things to enjoy. How about Psalm 45, 7? Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Who's this verse about? Jesus. Hebrews 1.9 actually grabs this and quotes it directly about Jesus. It's a messianic psalm. What does it say about Jesus. Jesus is anointed with the oil of gladness above anyone else. What do we emphasize about Jesus today? He's the suffering servant, right? He's acquainted with grief. That's what we emphasize. Is anybody like, hey, wait a second. He was also the happiest human ever. We don't. But that's what the Bible says. That suffering and happiness are friends. And we'll get to those kind of things as we process through this. Jesus was happier than anyone else. And yet, here's what has happened to us theologically. I have a quote from Oswald Chambers. And for the most part, I like him, but listen to this. Joy should never be confused with happiness. Have you ever heard that? Pretty common theology. Joy should never be confused with happiness. In fact... It is an insult to Jesus Christ to use the word happiness 
in connection with him. I say, what about Hebrews 1, 9? What about Psalm 45, verse 7? Are you kidding me? So we've done something theologically. And its shadow is still with us today. It saddens me. Kids love Jesus. Do kids love grumps or people that are happy? People flock to Jesus, right? Why? Because he was grumpy? No. Because he was anointed with gladness above his fellows. Right? Revelation 1.3. This is the Young's literal translation. Happy is he who is reading and those hearing the words of the prophecy and keeping the things written in it for the time is near. Revelation is saying, this book is going to help you with happiness. This book will do that for you. Right? Psalm 32.11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy. When do you shout for joy? When you're just mad and upset? No, when the happiness is so incredible, you can't stop it. It just erupts out of you. All you upright in heart. Joel 2, 22 and 23. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice. Do you know the two, like right there, it's a comparison. You cannot be afraid and also be glad. Do you know that? What is the most repeated command in the Bible? Don't be afraid. Fear not. Why? Because, man, that's not going to rob you of your happiness. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice. For the Lord has done great things. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. Brilliant. Isaiah 51.11. The ransomed of the Lord, those that have been bought out and brought in, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy. What's another way to put everlasting joy? Happiness, man. Happiness that cannot be taken from you. Shall be upon their heads and they shall obtain, what are you going to get? Gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's awesome. Isaiah 52 verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Who publishes peace. Who brings good news of? Who brings good news of? This is quoted in the New Testament. This is the good news that Jesus brought. Who published? What did it just link together there? Happiness and salvation. Restore unto me the joy, the happiness of my salvation. Are you kidding? Who said to Zion, your God reigns. You know what that verse is all about? The king has come, be happy. That's the good news. The king has come. Be happy. He's returning for us. How can you not be happy? He's reigning right now in the heavenlies. Be happy. 
the good news of happiness. I have hundreds of these, okay? I can go on and on and on and on. Your theology matters. And if you just love history, which I do, you can look at something that happened with us. You can actually connect the dots. There was a kind of an emphasis where we decided we are going to talk about and center in on God's anger at sin, which is true. But why is God angry at sin? Because it destroys his good creation and it robs his people of their delight and happiness and joy and gladness. So we decided we're gonna emphasize God's anger at his wrath at sin and we're no longer gonna really talk about, we're gonna ignore his delight in creation and in us. And so that's the big things. Those are the big themes that we would talk about. The four spiritual laws, all these things. It just became the center. But, but we, we lost out on something. So we believe God is good, but we don't actually believe he's good natured. Right? We think he might be a little cranky. Well, we're going to live with him for eternity. I hope he's not cranky. I don't think he is. I think he is good. And he delights in us. And he wants you and me to be happy. That's what I think, right? And the second thing happened was this. Not only did we do that, but then the second thing was we decided that there'd be this secular reign and there'd be this sacred reign, right? And they would be different from each other. So you'll hear statements like this, like the Old Testament is about the physical, but the New Testament is about the spiritual, right? So I am a adherent of what's called biblical theology that just says this book was written the way God wanted to write it. And it's, it has lines that, that they don't disconnect between the new and the old, that they are all there. That the gospel is in the old, we read it, the good news that God reigns, Jesus is coming, he's the king. Like those things are throughout from Genesis to Revelation. And people that say that, like, oh, the Old Testament's physical, the New Testament's spiritual. I just always say, what did Jesus give to you and me that he said, do this often in remembrance of me? Some bread and a cup, spiritual or physical. As physical as it gets, Eating, eating, that's physical, man. It's Jesus saying, hey, every time you eat, remember I'm the source. Every time you're eating, remember the source of joy, of happiness, of pleasure, they come from me. There are gifts that I give to you, right? That's what it is, physical. Like when you eat food, do you know how blessed we are to eat food? like the flavors. So I had a dog, Chloe, for 11 years, golden retriever. And I got her as a puppy and I did not know what kind of food to feed her. So I went to the store and I walked down this aisle where there is more choices for dog food than most countries have for regular food. Like you're just like, what in, this is confusing. But I spied this yellow bag and on the cover of this yellow bag was this golden retriever running in the sun, just happy as can be. And I just thought, well, that's the food for her. For the next 11 years, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, she ate that food. Could you imagine if that was for you and me? 
Like you go to the store and you just go there and there's one thing, it's called man food. Has this dude just like, like running. You're like, okay, I'll take some of that man food. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. How miserable would that be? Man, the flavors, it's God saying, I love you. Eat an avocado. Yeah. I love you. Have some pineapple. Yes. I love you. Eat a T-bone. Oh. I love you. Have some bacon. Yeah. I love you. Eat a donut. Okay. I love you. Have some butter. Okay. I love you. Have another donut. Yes, I will. That's what that is. There's no sacred spiritual divide. There's no, okay, these activities over here are spiritual. Fasting, Bible, reading, prayer. And then these activities over here, they're just filler for life, eating and working. Oh my goodness, what does that do to life? It's wrong. Riding your bike can be the most spiritual thing you ever do. Whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, in everything, glorify God. Riding your bike can be worship. The Bible says Abraham planted a tree and worshiped God. Why? Because planting a tree is worship. Totally worship. Riding a motorcycle can be the most spiritual thing you ever do. I prayed more riding a motorcycle than I have ever in my life. Like, ah, help me, right? No way. This whole division is wrong. It's wrong. The Bible is clear to me. God cares deeply about his people's happiness. All right, so I'll give you some. Now, old guys. And once again, I got a hundred of these. I'm not gonna do a hundred, but I got a hundred. And these are guys that lived, they're old dead guys. So if you're saying, well, culture's affecting you, Matt, whatever. Okay, these are old dead guys. So the first guy, Jonathan Edwards, lived in the early 1700s, considered by many to be the best theologian America has ever produced. He's that caliber of guy. Died at like 48 too, just amazing man. He wrote out what's called his 70 resolutions. He would just add to them and it was 70 things that he said, these are going to guide the way I live my life. One of them resolved to be as happy as possible. Why? Because God wants us happy. Number two, G.K. Chesterton. Love this guy. Jesus promises believers three things. To be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and in constant trouble. Some of us get the last one a lot, really good. (laughs) Absurdly happy. Chesterton, dead dude. How about C.H. Spurgeon? He is called the Prince of Preachers. He mentions happiness 23,000 times in his messages. We're gonna go over all of them this morning. (laughs) Now I'll do you three. I got lists from Spurgeon. Number one, nothing is better than to hear the veteran Christian covered in scars from battle testifying that the service to his master is a happy service. 
I'm telling you, I could do a month of Sundays on that text right there. That is phenomenally well put. Everything's in there. It's amazing, right? Number two, he is the happy God and he loves happy worshipers. We're called believers, children of the happy God. Number three, a happy Christian attracts others by his joy. Joy is a delighting thing. You cannot be too happy. See how he uses joy and happiness interchangeably? We changed that in the last 50, 60 years. Do not suspect yourself of being wrong because you are full of delight. No, you're right. It's Spurgeon. A.W. Tozer. I love this. God is happy if nobody else is. How good is that? Hey, you want to pout? Go ahead. I'm going to be happy. And Tozer, if you've read him, Attributes of God, right? Knowledge of the Holy. Like I read those books. I'm like, I don't know if I'd want to hang out with this guy. This is really good theology, but I don't really like the guy. I started reading all these other quotes by him. And I'm like, I want to hang out with him now. Wow, this guy's awesome. He's full of something that I want more of. And then you got Wesley. Wesley always is just like, are you kidding? But he says this, every Christian is happy. He who is not happy is not a Christian. I started doubting my salvation. I'm like, oh no, I don't know if I'm saved anymore. Wesley, golly, do you have to say it like that? Okay, these are old dead dudes. Way before something happened to us that's actually sprinkled now into our theology. So here's what I think happened. This is me. Here's what I think happened. I think after World War II, we got everything we could ever want. Homes, flushing toilets, showers, cars, you name it. Everything that was on our list, everything that the little Myron six-year-olds would be like, if I had that, I'd be happy. We got it all. And guess what happened? We weren't happy. So we had to adjust something. And we adjusted. Well, it must not be about happiness anymore. That must be some misfire in the human heart. So let's go for something else. Holiness. These other things that are just important and they're good, but so is happiness. The pursuit of happiness is good. It's healthy and it's right. So that's this series. We're gonna try to go through, okay, what is it then? What makes a person, what is the recipe for happiness? And it is not a trivial thing. It affects the mission. We are preachers of the good news of happiness. Isaiah 52. It matters. Like what person would say to you tomorrow at work, hey, I went to your church yesterday. It was awesome. Everybody was grouchy. Can't wait to go back. Nobody, right? Nobody wants that. It's imperative. And here is what science has found about happy people. I'm just gonna read you this list. And it's actually longer than this. I had to cut it down because we're already in overtime. Happy people have more friends, more energy, they're more generous, 
They're more likely to get married and stay married. They create social networks. They support other people. They're more productive. They're better leaders. They earn more money. They're more resilient. They have stronger immune systems. They're healthier and they live longer. And the list goes on and on and on. You know what I call that? It's when Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and you might have it more. That's all in there. Like, it, it matters. It, we're supposed to flourish. The prophets always write this, that we're to be a well-watered garden, right? We're to be the Psalm 1 tree that's got its roots down in something that's so deep that whatever circumstances up here don't even matter. Okay, I'm in a memorial service yesterday of a man who was taken tragically. And you know what? In the midst of that memorial service, guess what we did a lot of? Laughing. How's that possible? We're gonna talk about how that's possible. We're gonna talk about how that's possible. This is not to discount the brokenness of our world. This is in the midst of it. You can still be a well-watered garden. You can tap into something that's incredible and deep and flourishing and brilliant. That's what this series is about. It's why Psalm 144 verse 15 just says this, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. We're a happy people. Why? Because God's my Lord. So we get over to the table here in a second. I'm gonna pray then release you. And here's what I'd want for all of us. Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness above everybody else. Jesus, I want that. I wanna partake in that. Help me, guide me, lead me to gladness. I want to be like you. I want to be a little Christ. So I'll pray. Get up, grab it, hold it until we take it together. If you're on this side, head that direction and come back around. This side, head that direction, come back around. So Jesus, help my own heart not to fight. Or excuse. The good deep desires you've put into it. Because you've given me a new heart and a new spirit. My wanter has been changed. I'm going to listen to what scripture says. Help me to laugh easier, smile quicker. Help all of us, Lord. As we come to your table, may we know you care deeply about the physical. May we go from here as ambassadors of the good news of happiness because our God reigns. You are on the throne. You're in control. Death and sin and the law have been dealt a death blow. You're gonna return for us. You're gonna take everything that is broken, cast it into a lake of fire. And so we 
are ambassadors of that happy news. Help us to eat and drink of that, I pray. We pray this in your name. Amen.